All right. And for the last time in this building, we're going to invite the kids to come on up front and have a seat for our children's message. All right, come on, find a spot to sit. All right, good to see everyone again this morning. So last time here, next week, over there, a new building, good. All right, so we've been talking as a church about moving to that new building, right? And talk about, you know, the things that we have to pack up and take with us and things we want to leave behind. And we do that on a spiritual level too, right? Some spiritual things we want to take with us and pack them in our suitcase, right? And some spiritual things that we want to leave behind. Does anybody remember the spiritual things we've packed up so far? Do you remember, Liam? Love. Love, yeah. Good job. And do you remember the other one? There's love. And the first one was God's Word, right? God's Word and love. So we know that we want to pack those up and take them with us, right? We've we talked about those. Okay, so this morning we have two more things to talk about. So let's start here with Jesus Christ. What do you think? Is He someone we want to pack up and take with us or leave behind? We want to take Him with, right? Now, we'll put the card in the suitcase, but we don't really pack Jesus in a suitcase, do we? No, but we want to take him with us, right? So the Bible says in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and that all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. That Jesus is the head of the church or the leader of the church and that we can be in relationship with God only because of Jesus because he died on the cross and was raised to life again, right? And it says that in all things that Jesus should be preeminent. Say preeminent. Preeminent means of greatest importance. So Jesus Christ should be of greatest importance in our lives. So because that's true, we want to take Jesus with us. Now the question is, how do we take Jesus with us? Right? How do we take Jesus with us? We can do that a few ways. We can do that by being kind. Right? That takes him with us by loving him. By obeying him and serving him, by worshiping him, by telling others about him. Those are all ways that we can take Jesus with us and stay, remain or abide in Jesus as we go. And so all that we do should be centered around the person of Jesus Christ. All right? Now let's look next at the last thing up there. The last thing is things of the world. All right, what do you think? Is that something we want to take with us or leave behind? Leave behind. leave behind the things of the world, yeah. Should we hold the things of the world in higher importance than Jesus? No. Is getting the toy you want more important than Jesus? No. Is winning a game more important than Jesus? No. How about having lots of money? Is that more important than Jesus? No, no, no. If Jesus Christ is to be of greatest importance then all those other things of the world are nowhere near as important as he is, right? The high value we sometimes place on the things of the world should be left behind. Those should be nothing compared to our love of Jesus. So, Jesus Christ and the things of the world, which way do we want to pack with us, take with us? Yeah, we're going to take him with us. We'll put him here in the suitcase. And what should we do with the things of the world? 
Leave it behind. We'll throw that in the garbage, right? We'll leave that behind. All right? So as we go, we're going to take Jesus with us. We're going to stay close to him. And all the things of the world of lesser importance, we're going to leave those behind. Good. Thanks for coming up again. You can go back and have a seat. This book in the book of Philippians, if you turn there with me, we'll be in Philippians chapter 2 and Philippians chapter 3. We'll read Philippians 2, 5 to 11, and then Philippians 3, 1 to 12. As Pastor Jeff said, the first sermon is three of what should we take and what should we leave with us as we decide to move is we want to take with us no shame at any of God's word. We want to leave behind any embarrassment over anything in it. Second, we want to take with us selfless care of considering the interests of others more important than our own. That's what Pastor Jeff preached on last week. And leave behind us any kind of sinful selfishness or harsh talk. And then in this last one, we want to take with us, um, centering on being all about the truth of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, and reign. We want to take with the gospel. Let me read Philippians 2, 5 to 11, and 3, 1 to 12. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And now 3, 1 to 12. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Those, or look out for the evildoers. Those, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Righteous Father, may you teach our hearts to stand in awe of your words and rejoice in your words like one who has discovered a vast treasure. May we learn to hate every falsehood and to love every part of your law. 
We praise you for your righteous rules and hope in you for salvation. All of our ways are before you. May we both learn and keep your precepts and your testimony. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we said, you know we're moving. You heard that? Yeah? All right. And uh, we've already moved much of the physical assets of the church. And we've been considering what do we want to take with us in a spiritual sense. What do we want to take? What do we want to leave behind in a sense is a spiritual checkup of sorts. The last sermon here is out of the book of Philippians. It's an epistle of joy. That's one of the nicknames for it. Though it is a prison epistle, that is, Paul wrote it as a few other of his letters from prison. He exhorts us in the letter to joy. And in the midst of long, trying, depleting season of work that you've been in, I think that's a good exhortation, isn't it? Many of you, much of you have put in a lot of work, much energy. Um, Some of you have worked a full-time job and then given full-time hours on a weekly basis to the construction or remodeling a new building. It's been tiring. And so, though that is true, I exhort you to joy. And the reason for the joy in the book of Philippians is the gospel. Paul, at the beginning of the letter, doesn't care what happens to him, doesn't care the motives of anybody, so long as the gospel had advanced. Paul exhorts joy because in Christ there is joy because we've been forgiven of all of our sins. In Christ we have a personal hope of glory. In Christ we actually receive the fulfillment of all that we want, which is God's glory in the lives of many others. So what I want to do in this book is look at uh, the chapters in verse 2 to just describe what is the gospel. And then secondly, I want us to look at what it means to, to believe the gospel. Uh, by way of saying to us as a church, there is nothing as vital in our lives or in our church, especially moving to a building, than that we keep this truth before us. And one of the things that you need to do is not check out right now. You've heard the gospel before. You know the message. You've heard it. And the temptation is for you to check out, to act as if you got this. You've arrived at this. That is not true. For instance, this past week when you committed sin, what did you do? Did you turn immediately to the cross? Did you exercise the muscles of faith and believe that because Christ has died and risen and reigning, you are forgiven? Or if somebody sinned against you, what did you do? Did you go to the cross and believe that because Christ has died and risen and reigns, that you can forgive and release all that you would hold against somebody because of their sin. You need the gospel. So what is the gospel? Let's look at chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. One of the other major themes of this gospel is the future. In 1.6, he says, I am sure that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. This phrase, day of Christ, is prevalent in this book. That is, Paul has a, an eye to the future, to the eternal future, and being prepared for it. We see at the end of chapter 2, or the, the section of verses 6 to 11, 
that Jesus Christ is the greatest name above all names. He is the Lord. He is the judge. There will be a day, as we've said in the Apostles' Creed, where he comes again to judge the living and the dead. That is true. And so, are you prepared? On verses of chapter 2, 6 to 11, we have five truths that explain to us the glorious simplicity of the gospel. It begins with Jesus Christ. You see at the end of verse 5, he names Christ Jesus. Christ is his title. He is Lord. He is King Jesus. He is the supreme sovereign Son of God. And so the gospel begins with the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, the eternal God. We read about him in verse 6, that he was in the form of God. That word form is used in verse 8 also to describe his humanity. Now form there can be a little tricky because in English it might not convey all that it means there. It simply means that he's God. Jesus Christ is God. He has always existed. He has no beginning. He is the uncreated creator. Pastor Jeff read from Colossians that Jesus Christ is the one through whom, by whom, and for whom were all things created. Jesus Christ is in all reality everything that God is because he is God. He is, as it says in verse 6, equal with God. This is the truth we confess of Christianity, of which no other religion confesses, that our God is one and He is three. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Son. They are distinct. And yet they are equal, co-equal, in glory and majesty in every way. Now, I don't know about you, but that all of a sudden shivers up and down your spine. There is one being who is three separate, distinct persons. This is a mysterious faith to confess. It's a glorious faith to confess. You will never plumb the depths of that glory. And when you worship God, you are worshiping three persons who are one. And the second member of that glorious trinity is Jesus Christ, fully God. So everything the Bible says of God is true of Christ. And yet, Wonder of wonders, as if the Trinity isn't wonder enough. In verse 7, this glorious second member of the Trinity, this eternal God, became man. Now we're moving into the Advent season. Next Sunday is the first in the uh, Advent season. And that season is a celebration of waiting for the appearance of of God incarnate, of God who would become man and live and dwell among us. Now it says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant slave, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. So there we have the word form, again, that we saw in verse 6. It there means that he is, just as he is fully God, he became fully man. Everything that you are as a human, Christ is, became. So, Christ has been eternal, is eternally God, and yet at a point in time, he took on humanity. He wasn't always human. 
And yet he was, at a point in time, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. As a man, he is male. He is a human man. This echoes of Genesis 1. But he was not just any kind of man. We know a particular class of man to which he was born. He was born a slave. That's what emptied himself refers to. It's not that he divested himself of his divinity. It's that he did not come to earth broadcasting his kingliness, his highness. He did not count that as anything. He became a slave. He became the lowest class of humanity, though he is the highest being in the universe. So that's, that's what the gospel begins with. Begins with Christ. Begins with Christ as the Son of God, one. Second, this Son of God became man. And so Jesus Christ is and always forever will be God made man. And this is good news. Because as we continue on, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. The third truth of the gospel is obedience. This is something we don't talk about as often as we should in response to the gospel. The reason that any sinful human being can be saved is because of obedience. We do emphasize his sacrifice on the cross. But his sacrifice on the cross was an aspect of his obedience, the highest point of it. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So our world is one of authority. Jesus Christ, though he is equal with God the Father, submitted himself in obedience to the Father's commands. God the Father planned our redemption. God the Father required of His Son that He come to earth and take on humanity. God the Father required His Son's obedience. And Jesus Christ fulfilled all righteous obedience to the Father throughout His entire life. He never once sinned. He never grumbled about having to be obedient. He was gladly obedient to the Father all the way through. Even to the point of the hardest thing that the Father ever required of His Son which is to go to the cross in our place, take on our sin, and suffer the death that we were due for our sin in our place. We know that in Scripture, we were born to glorify and honor our Father. And Adam sinned in rebellion against God, and so we are born sinful. And we sin. You sin because you're sinful. You sin because you have a nature born at enmity and rebellion against God. That makes sense of all the mess that your life was and is. It's a rebellion against God. Death is a separation from God. The wages of sin is death, and that death is an eternal gulf between you and your Creator. You're born like that. Christ was not born with the nature of sin. 
He was, as we said, completely obedient to the Father all the way to the point of death on the cross. And the reason that he died, even though he was sinless on the cross, is because he became sin who knew no sin. That is, God the Father took all of the sin of his people, you and I, and imputed it to his son, placed it on his son, counted it as against his son. His son became the lawbreaker that you and I are. He took on the record of all of your disobedience, all of your lies, all of your lusts, all of your parental uh, disobedience, all of it, all of your thievery, all of your greed, all of it. And he died obediently to the Father on the cross in our place for our sin. And this is the biblical definition of love. This is love. It's obedience to the Father to die in our place. That's love. Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Why? Because he loved the Father and would obey him even the point of death, even on the cross. So as I've said before, and we'll continue to say it again, you are saved by obedience. It's just not yours. You're saved because the sinless Son of God became sin and died in our place on the cross. That's, that's the heart of the gospel. He is our substitute. He took on the penalty due you for your sin and suffered the Father's just wrath and anger in your place. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Young people, do you believe that you are born sin and that you sin and that you need a Savior who died in your place and that He did it? Do you believe that, Dad? Do you believe that, Mom? Do you believe that, Husband? Do you believe that, Wife? Do you believe that, Single? Do you believe this gospel? Fourth, verse 9, glorious therefore. Because Christ was willing to be born the lowest, because Christ went the lowest in his death, therefore, God has exalted him. Exalted, not exalted, not you, A. God has exalted him. Bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Christ was raised from the dead to indestructible life. After his resurrection from the dead, he ascended. Where he is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus said to his followers after he was risen, I have been given authority in heaven and on earth. He is king. Capital K. There is none like him. There is no rival to him. There is no name that comes within a million miles of being equal with him. He is the sovereign authority overall, higher than anybody else. Why? Because he was willing to go lower in service than anyone else. Christianity is exactly opposite than our world. The only path to exaltation is death. 
The only way to the highest place of authority is to go to the lowest in love, with service of others, and death. So, the gospel isn't only about Jesus becoming man. It isn't only about him dying on a cross. It includes his resurrection and his ascension where he now reigns over everything. So, how long has this been going on? How long has verse 9 been true in human history? 2,000 years. He has ruled and reigned with a name greater than all other names, bringing subjection and everything in heaven and earth and under the earth under his feet for the last 2,000 years. He has had no rival for his supreme authority for the last 2,000 years. This is the reality you and I live under. And you know what it takes to know that? Faith. All the mess in your life, all of the sorrow in your life, all of the grief in your life is taking place under the sovereign, loving rule of your crucified and risen Savior. Everything. Every diagnosis, every accident, every rebellious child, every marital spat, everything is happening under the sovereign plan and will of the crucified and risen Savior. And this exaltation includes, in verse 10, the subjection of everything in heaven, on earth and under earth, to Him. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll get there as we go through the Corinthians series, that right now this is not yet full reality. It is, but not yet fully. Jesus is fully Lord over everything, and yet not everything is brought into subjection under Him. The last thing that will be brought into subjection under Him is death, and then the end will come. So what Jesus Christ is doing at the supreme authority is bringing everything in this world under his authority. We pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a prayer that Christians are to pray because Jesus has been risen. He has ascended, and that is what's happening. We are to be praying for this. This is why the church is on earth. We are here to proclaim this gospel and see men and women and children confess their sins, repent of their sins, and turn to Christ and come under subjection to Jesus Christ as Lord. Right? They'll either do it willingly now or very unwillingly later. Another way to say it is Christianity is a religion that will conquer the world. Right? We don't do it with swords. We don't do it with guns. We don't do it with governmental policies. We do it by dying in the preaching of the gospel and in seeing sinners saved coming under subjection of the Lord Jesus Christ or rejecting Him and suffering eternally. Everything will end up in subjection under His feet. 
the fundamental Christian confession is Jesus is Lord. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised with that you will be saved. That doesn't mean you just say a, a, a trite phrase. It's not just about saying the words. It's about conforming your life to that truth. Jesus is Lord. Why? Because Jesus died in your place for your sins. This is more than words. This is a life. This is what Pine Grove must remain unswervingly committed to. And it's one thing to say Jesus is Lord. It's another thing to stand firm on Jesus' teaching on sexuality. Will he be Lord in your workplace when you're required to go against Jesus' teaching on sexuality? Is Jesus Lord there? Is Jesus Lord when... Our country will require women to sign up for selective service and be drafted into military service on the front lines. Is Jesus Lord then to Christians that know that that's abhorrent? So Pine Grove must remain committed to, brothers and sisters, because he is. In other words, you want to be on the right side of history. You don't want to be found opposing Jesus. We don't want to be found being ashamed at any one of his words. So, in this gospel, we have four truths so far. Jesus is God. Jesus became man. Jesus obeyed the Father, even to the point of death on a cross in our place for our sin. And Jesus was exalted. The right hand of the Father, where he reigns over everything, bringing everything in subjection under him, including our church. The last Part of the gospel is the purpose in verse 11. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What's the purpose? To the glory of God the Father. This is the purpose of the gospel. This is the purpose of it. The reason that the Son of God became man and died on the cross in our place isn't because we're so lovable. It's because he wanted to glorify his Father in heaven. The reason God created this earth, spoke it into existence, the reason that God created man, male and female, in his image and placed on the earth, the reason that he created us knowing that it would fall into rebellion against him is so that he could send his Son Redeem us in this earth and bring himself maximum glory. That's why you exist. That's why Pine Grove Community Church exists. That's why every other church on this globe exists. For the glory of God. It's not about us. We're not moving to a new building so that Pine Grove Community Church's name can be greater than any other church's name in Rhinelander. <laughs> right? We're the best church in Rhinelander. <laughs> we got a bigger building than all their churches in Rhinelander. Right. <laughs> Where, where's Rhinelander? It's 
so that God can be glorified in a little church in a little place with little people. You, little people in a little church in a little place, can actually bring glory to the immeasurable, transcendent God who created the universe by speaking. You can glorify God if we remain centered on the gospel. Isn't that awesome? You can somehow glorify God in heaven. How? If you remain in subjection to his son. So take this gospel with. This almost feels blasphemous to say we're going to take Jesus with us. (laughs) He's, He's taking us with him. What we mean is we want to remain utterly committed as finite fallen human beings to the truth of the gospel. We want to remain in subjection to Jesus above all. But brothers and sisters, Paul, towards the uh, 2.16, says, hold fast to the word of life. That's what we're talking about here. That's the application. Hold fast to this. Stand firm in this. Men, Pine Grove needs you to stand firm in the truth of God's word. Don't waver. That's what we're made for. Never compromise this gospel. Paul says in Galatians 1 that anyone who compromises this gospel, even the least, should be accursed. We are dealing with things of heaven and hell of eternal significance. We must not compromise. Notice, though, that he says, to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that sweet there? We're not glorifying a far-off God. We're not glorifying a God who will not be troubled to glance at us. We're not dealing with a God that can't be known. We're dealing with a God who is a father. I could see us struggling to glorify a far-off God, but this is a God who has become our father. If you've had a good father, if you've had a father who loved you and took care of you and protected you and disciplined you, you want to glorify him. You want to honor him. How much more your heavenly father who sent his only son to die in your place for your sin. You have no purpose apart from this, Pine Grove. You have no meaning or usefulness apart from this. If we are to fail in our commitment to never compromise the gospel, and we become utterly useless. Now, what is our response to be to the gospel? Flip over to chapter 3. There's many ways to look at our response. Paul says in 127 that we should live a life of repentance that is increasingly worthy of the gospel. But I want to look at 3, 1 to 12, you can file this under Jesus is Lord. We say Jesus is Lord. You say, what does that look like? Well, here's one aspect of what it looks like. Paul is explaining in these verses what it means to, for you to confess Jesus is Lord. He says that we should rejoice in the Lord. And we should watch out in verse 2 for dogs. <laughs> He's talking about people there. In our world where you ought not to say things like that. And what does he mean? He means those who are evildoers. 
He's talking about those who confess Christ and yet put more confidence in verse 3 in their own flesh than in Christ. So he's contrasting here confidence in the flesh with Jesus as Lord. He's talking about people in the church who confess Jesus as Lord and yet put more confidence in their own flesh, which we'll understand in a moment here, than in Christ. What does he mean, confidence in the flesh? Paul has this list of things that he could, if he wanted, put confidence in himself in. He was circumcised. He's he's an Israelite. He's of a tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee. He's zealous. He's righteous in regards to the law. He kept the law. What he means is, there's only one of two ways to respond to the gospel. Continued confidence in yourself, in your ancestry, in your obedience to God, or trust in Christ. Confidence in the flesh is works righteousness here. It's you holding up who you are, who your family is, all the good things of service you've done before God and say, God, see, I'm good, I'm righteous, I'm accepted to you based on me. And Paul says, I count that all as rubbish. I I lose it all, verse 7 and 8. I count it as garbage. Why? Because no human being will ever be counted righteous before God based on their own works, on their own flesh. Paul says, all that gain, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered loss all things. Count them as garbage, as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. And then verse 9 is the key here. Here's the key. Being found in him, in Christ, here it is, not having a righteous my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is talking about the most important thing in your life. How can you be made acceptable to God? How can you be welcomed by God as a son? How can you be included in God's family? Because the great problem is your sin. God created you. He's provided for you. He commands your obedience and you've been disobedient. You are unrighteous. Who can ascend the hill of God? Clean heart and pure hands. Pure heart and clean hands. I don't remember which one. And you're not that. You need righteousness before God. How are you going to get it? There's only one of two options. Either you hold up your righteousness because of your family or because of your good works or you count that all as garbage and you say, Christ. You need righteousness from God. You need a perfect record of obedience before God. Where are you going to get it? You're going to look in the mirror or you're going to look to Christ? You're going to rely on your goodness and your works the DNA in your bones? Or are you going to rely on Christ? 
It's either your righteousness, which is no righteousness at all, or you being gifted the righteous record of Jesus Christ. And the only right response to the gospel is faith in Christ. That's it. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no qualifications to qualify in. There's no testing period. It's just you saying, I am a sinner. I need Jesus. That's it. I have nothing to commend myself to God. I have only Christ. That's it. My family is a Christian family, but that doesn't get me to heaven. Only Christ. I'm a part of a good church. It's getting a new big building. Garbage. I need Jesus. That's it. And what I am urging you is take that mindset, that commitment with you. It doesn't matter if you've been at Pine Grove since 1979. You need Christ. doesn't matter if you've come to Christ since you've been here and you've attended Bible studies and given money and all that. You need Christ. This is the definition of faith then, isn't it? It's losing hope in everything else and hoping only in Jesus. That's faith. What is the result? You get righteousness before God the Father. You get to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. You get to share in His sufferings. You get to become like Him to death. And you get to attain the resurrection of the dead. Amen. How about you? You want those things? Then count everything else as garbage and turn to Christ. So here's my closing exhortation to you. I urge you to take this pure, unvarnished gospel with us. Don't try to become anything in this true building, Pine Grove. Of course, there'll be new things. We're in a new place. There'll be new ministries. But we just have to be people who need Christ. We just have to be people who will not compromise this gospel at all. Don't subtly fall for the temptation to be something better than a poor, needy, sinning with empty hands who trusts in a God who will count you as righteous in His Son. We just want to be Christ's people. That's it. We're nothing apart from Christ. We can do nothing without Christ. Let me apply this particularly. Some of you do to think too highly of yourselves. And in every conversation that you're with the people, you end up talking about yourself. You're the center of every conversation. Everything somebody else says, you try to one-up them in a story. It's all about you. You need to let that go. How about you start talking about Christ and listening to other people? Second, nothing else should control you but Christ. There should be no Lord in your life but Christ. It shouldn't matter what other people think about you because what Christ has done for you. It shouldn't be controlled by fear of people. There's going to be a temptation for that in the new building. We've got a new building. We've got bills to pay. We want to be pleasing to people. Garbage. We want to be controlled by Christ and loving to others. People who have this kind of hope in Christ will never compromise Christ's truth or be ashamed of God's word. A continuing exhortation throughout this book is hold true, stand firm. The key to holding true and standing firm to Christ, brother, knowing that you are righteous before the Father because of Christ, and that's it. 
brothers and sisters, know this gospel inside and out. So many of you treat this so lightly. You've heard the gospel that Jesus died and rose, and that's as far as you go with it. You don't want to know more theology. You don't want to know more big words. You think you've arrived, and you won't put in the hard work to learn, to grow in your understanding of these glorious truths that we're talking about. You don't have awe of God because you're in a mushy middle ground. You're not new to it anymore, and you're not willing to plumb the depths of it. And so you're just blah. Do the work to know this gospel. Come to Sunday school. Go to small group. Read your Bible. Use your life to grow in the knowledge of this great and glorious gospel. You might notice in verse 10 that counting everything as rubbish, to know Christ includes sharing in his sufferings. (laughs) What? A result of trusting in Christ is suffering. That's going to happen at our new building. We're going to face suffering that we wouldn't face before. You're going to enter into very difficult sufferings. We said in a previous sermon a couple weeks ago, you're either entering into suffering or you're in suffering or you've just come out of it. You're going to have to suffer as a Christian. You're going to have to suffer believing this gospel in the midst of your sorrows and despairs and confusion and why me's, your loss, your grief. And then, because we are people committed to this gospel, what we actually want more than we want anything is to die and be with Jesus. That's it. We don't want to be people who are hanging around for greater things, bigger churches, more toys. We want to be people who want to die and be with Jesus. That's Paul's conclusion in Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, it means more fruitful labor for me, yet which I choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Is that actually true of you? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Are you fighting to cling on to this life to get a healthier, wealthier, better life now? Or is your desire to depart and be with Christ because that's far better in your heart? And I'm not just talking about escapism because your life is so hard. I'm talking about you want to see Christ. You want to see the God-made man. You want to see him who hung upon the cross in your place. You want to see him who has been exalted to the highest wisdom. You can't wait to see Christ because you've lived your life for him. You've laid down your life for him. You want to see Christ. My desire is to depart from Christ because that's far better. Is it far better for you? You love your spouse, but you can't wait to see Christ. You love your kids, but you can't wait to see Christ. You enjoy your work, but you can't wait to see Christ. You love this church, but you can't wait to be buried. 
Let's take that with us. That's what we want. We want to take that mentality with us. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for this gospel. We praise you that this is true. This isn't just a fairy tale. It is true that your son, God himself, became man. It's true that he lived without sin. It is true that he died on the cross in our place for our sins, that he rose, that he's ascended, that he's reigning over. It's all true. God convinces us. Give us faith to believe it. May we live for Christ. May we count everything else as rubbish that we might have Christ. We have no hope in ourselves, no hope in new buildings, no hope in bigger ministries, but only in Christ. May we desire to depart and be with him because that's far better. God, would you disciple us into that? We're not there. We're not where we should be. God, would you be so merciful to teach us to actually desire to depart with Christ, convince us that it's actually far better. Please do whatever you need. And we give ourselves to this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the charge in uh, five parts. One, thank you to all of you who have served so faithfully here. Brad, Buildings and Grounds, Roy, all the service teams, all of the counseling, all the Sunday school teaching, all of the clean, all of it. Thank you. And so charge one, be grateful for the people who have served here. Two, be thankful for the new building that God has provided and let's keep it up. The work's just beginning. Let's do it by faith. Three, pray for the sale of this thing. We want it gone soon. Four, invite others. Many of you were invited here. You came to the Lord or you've been straining to the Lord greatly because of an invitation. You have a unique opportunity in the next few months to invite people. I said before, just say to them, hey, we're going to a new building. You got to come. Five, most importantly, the charge is remain faithful to the Lord. Fear him above all else. That's it. Remain faithful to the Lord. Fear him above all else. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ our Lord. And amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you at the new building next Sunday.